0: What's going on, Rodeway Nation? Jake Seymour here, joined with another episode of the God Podcast. I'm joined as always with Reed Miller and Kyle Baxter. and today we have a special guest from SB Nation and the Celtics blog, Adam Taylor. Adam, welcome to the God Podcast.
1: Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Um, I need to be—I need to have been checking you guys out a bit more. I've caught the last two episodes, I think bits and bubs. but um, you guys are going well, good, man. What's this episode 16?
0: 16, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Going strong, man. Getting ready for the new season.
0: I think, what, are we two weeks away from tomorrow? New season tipped off? I think it's like Friday, I think, for the
1: Lakers. So we went yeah, right there. And it, right around the corner. It's and crazy. And it preseason it's a crazy game turn- Tuesday. Next Tuesday,
0: there's a preseason game, and then Friday as well. I'm excited. It's right around the corner. Slow, quick, quick turnaround. Like, usually, like, you're like, oh, man, it's another three long months. But no, it's been, like, a couple – I feel like a couple of weeks at this point. But, uh, yeah, so, Adam, you want to introduce yourself to the people – uh, obviously, I know you do the uh, Celtics blog, but I know you just started a newsletter too, which is pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, so um, you can catch me mainly over at Celticsblog.com for SB Nation. Uh, I host their podcast as well. Had some player interviews, get some media guys on now and again. Um, that's dope. Uh, check out all the other writers on there as well. They've got guys like Keith Smith and they've produced guys like Kevin O'Connor. So they're a deep, really good site to go check out. Um, just dropped started a newsletter this week actually called Look Who's Balling. Which is an NBA newsletter. Does paid and free uh, content on there that kicks off tomorrow. And then if you're into basketball gambling, you can find me at Unibet.com for your weekly basketball tips.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna plug your podcast one more time. Uh, for those of you who haven't, I definitely go listen to his interview with Mike Gorman. Uh, very good stuff in there. A lot of good sound bites, a
0: lot of good stories. Um, definitely go check that one out. I enjoyed that one a lot. that was a really good one that was one i said to him like yeah you gotta check this one out because this is really good
1: yeah i appreciate that guys thank you very much i had one with hayward as well not too long ago but um he never gave me the scoop that he was leaving and then another one to check out is one with um former nba champion scott pollard and um we during that episode we basically scooped some news that kind of missed goings on during the nba bubble some stories that never got made into the public until that episode and then it got aggregated in a bunch of places um that's a that's a great episode too
0: yeah definitely Adam's always on the grind great podcast but you know right now we got to talk about the preseason expectations for the Celtics Obviously, we said they're tipping off in a couple of weeks and we just want to talk about a couple guys real quick we're gonna start with the young guys obviously the Celtics drafted two rookies and I'm sure you guys know how I feel about the rookies about their expectations but obviously Neesmith and uh uh Pichard right so I'm saying that right Pichard yeah, I don't want to screw it up because I always, <laughs> for some reason, with rookies, I always, like, just, like, in my head, it's like I always mess up the pronunciation a little bit because I haven't seen them that much on the court yet. But those two guys, I'm excited to see them play. Obviously, Neesmith is a great shooter. And I feel like Picard, there I go again. I'm sorry. Picard, yeah, you know who I'm talking mm-hmm. about. <laughs> um, I feel like uh, I feel like he's going to be a good backup point guard down the, down the line at some point. But, I mean, like I said, you guys don't aim with the rookies. I wanted some bets on the team.
2: Yeah, I think it's a good moment for this. Uh, these young guys, I, like there's not going to be no Kemba Walker, likely no Tristan Thompson for the start. Not uh, so clear on what his status is. Uh, Roman Lankford's also out. Uh, I think it's be a good chance to see how uh, guys like Grant Williams and Robert Williams have progressed. Uh, you get, you'll definitely see something from like our young guards in Pritchard and Trey Water, uh, Trey Waters. Uh, we know how I feel about Trey Wars on the show. I'm very high on him, higher than these two. Um, but someone I've been seeing getting a lot of attention is Carson Edwards. He's been getting a lot of attention, a lot of praise at a uh, training camp. Uh, I don't know what that means. I'm still willing to give the guy a chance. Uh, we saw what he could do in the summer league at preseason last year, and I still think that exists. I think he just wasn't sure if he was quite ready last year.
3: It's all from the hair. As soon as he cut his hair, he stopped being a knockdown shooter anymore. So. <laughs> Throw back the hair.
2: Jalen Brown did the opposite I and mean, he balled out all last year. Oh yeah. And uh, what do you think about these young guys in this post in the preseason?
1: Yeah, man, so um I was lucky enough to get to speak to Pritchard not sorry, not Pritchard Neesmith, um during his media availability before he got drafted. And um one of the questions that got thrown to him during that was uh how were you fitting well with the Celtics? Because he'd already said that he'd had a workout with them at that point. His response was, and I'm paraphrasing obviously, um, "I can fit in really well playing off JT and JB because I'm going to be able to space the floor for them to give them more driving opportunities. I'm going to help with when Tatum's running that pick and roll." Uh, Brad Stevens said today he's not sure if he's going to be in the rotation or not at this point. He's seen some things that he really likes, but then obviously, there's a can we curse on this podcast? Yeah, yeah, I'll go. Yeah, th- there's a fuck ton of shit that this guy needs to learn, and um, there's just not enough time for him to pick it up at the moment. So I'm high on Neesmith I think he's going to be the out of all the rookies. If there was going to be one to become a closer towards the end of the year, then I'd say it'd be Neesmith Just because I feel like he's got that Duncan Robinson vibe to him in terms of like um his limitless range. Can't do much else, but you know if you can if you can knock down freeze on the move, then that's going to always benefit the team. Pritchard, I had him. I didn't even have him in my top sixty on my draft board. To be quite honest, I don't know about you guys. Really? I, I, I saw him going undrafted. Um, I feel like that was a reach. Everything I've heard, everybody I've spoke to, um, and I spoke to a bunch of people, um, some couple of guys around the league that like are draft advisors to teams and stuff, and they were like, "Yeah, he's going to be good," but it was definitely a reach at that. Obviously, this is all. You don't know until you're in the league and you see how you're playing. I'm high on him. I like his attitude. I like what he brings to the team in terms of penetration and ball handling. But if any, I mean, there's no G League. Boston aren't going to have Maine this year. Otherwise, I would have felt like he was going to be the prime candidate to spend the year down in Maine.
2: Yeah, like it was a tough year for scouting altogether. Like you missed out on that last month, March Madness. And then you got to kind of ramp these guys up weeks after they've been drafted and right into training camp in the regular season. Um, i was actually surprised that nasman was still on the board when we uh, picked him at 14. i um i kept seeing that Even in my opinion i thought he was gonna you no know, fall no later than 10 or 11 but uh i th- i thought that was a steal for what he was uh definitely a shooter in brad's system that he desperately needed um i know brad said he wasn't quite sure if he was gonna get some immediate minutes in the rotation but uh, i think that just time time and patience with the- him and perchar as well you can't really expect these guys who aren't in really in the top three and Edwards, Ball, and Wiseman to get that role right away and sort of get with the program weeks before the season starts.
0: I mean, my whole thing with the rookies is, you know, Neesmith, I mean, he's a great – I'm sure he's going to be a great player and a great shooter, but I would have liked to see him go and get someone that's already solidified, like a J.J. Reddy, Kyle Korver. Like, I don't know, but try and see if you can do something with that. Uh, I know, Reed, you're very high on him. I mean, on draft night in the chat, you're like, hey, I think is going to fall, and I was like, okay. And then you're like, I really wanted to pick him up. And then, sure enough, uh, the Celtics picked him at 14. But Danny Ainge did have a really interesting quote. I actually put it up on, uh, I think, uh, the page. He said, he can come out in the gym and outshoot most of our guys right this second. I'm guessing uh, Jason Tatum will have a little dispute with that. So, obviously, by the sounds of it, Danny Ainge is extremely high on Naismith. Um, I mean, all I've heard from the guys is that he's a shooter. And that's all I've heard. Like You say, oh, how's Naismith? Oh, he's a great shooter. I mean, is that, is that all he does? Like if he shoots. So I'm really interested to see how he does not only with the shooting, but also, you know, defense, his other offensive, um, you know, how he plays in the paint, you know, in the post, you know, all that stuff, because I'm pretty sure that, you know, pretty big guy as well. So I'm hoping to see him, you know, kind of do a lot of stuff just besides just shooting.
3: Yeah. I mean, the thing that frustrated me most at the end of the playoffs was when we weren't utilizing Jalen Brown and he was just standing over in the corner. So I mean, I don't know, maybe he can, like Adam said later on in the season, take on kind of like a Ray Allen role where he's just like a knockdown three-point shooter, and that gives, you know, Brown and Tatum the opportunity to kind of just do more with the ball.
1: I'll go yeah.
2: so, say, I oh, will go
1: yeah,
2: I would just say that I would want him to be the type of player that Celtics fans want Semi Ojale to be or feel Semi Ojale is, like that three and D, that corner three guy. Uh, I think Naismith has better potential in that uh, aspect, but – He's got to be patient. I think it's it's a really short off season. He's only been on the team for about two weeks, maybe. <laughs> it feels like two weeks.
1: See, the thing for me is the fact that he can. He doesn't have to be stationary to get his shot off. He can peel off screens. He can curl and he can catch in motion and then rise up straight away. That's going to give him opportunities, especially down the stretch when the Celtics need facing where they struggled in the playoffs, especially last season. Uh, I'm kind of with Jake. I came into the offseason thinking they need veteran guys. They need a Corva. They need a Redick. They need somebody along those lines. And I was so high on Kyrie Lewis that when he was at 13 and no one picked him, I was literally like screaming at my TV. It's like 2 a.m. here when that was going on. <laughs> uh, he he goes. I'm furious. I understand why they've gone this route. You know, hayward has gone. They're now Kem, you, you don't know where you stand with Kemba's knee situation at the moment. So taking these young guys that can offer floor spacing in Pritchard and Neesmith to me makes the most sense because then you're just adding to that core rather than trying to walk those two timelines. I'm really high on Neesmith. I'm a little bit more cautious on Pritchard because I just don't know what we're going to get from that guy. He's a four-year guy, so I'm assuming what you see is what you get. There's going to be a very low ceiling on him. uh, And I'm just not sure how long it's going to take him to adjust, if he can adjust at all
0: yeah, he definitely would have been a good Red Claws player. Could maybe I don't know help help them lead to the G League championship. But hopefully, he does something good in the NBA, can lead us to the, the NBA Finals. Uh, but the next guy, another point guard coming up is Jeff T. Celtics went out and kind of signed him. I was not expecting this at all, uh, Adam. I mean, I was right with you. I wanted vets, and we actually got out and got a veteran. Like I think I said it when the signing happened. I was like, we got a veteran. Like that's something the that Celtics did because that's just something that they haven't done in a while. You know, usually they're always drafting or they're adding to that core. But to go and get a guy like Jeff Teague, I like because, you know, he's going to be, a, he, I feel like he's going to be like a, kind of like a Kemba Walker replacement. Obviously Walker's knee right now, it's unpredictable. Obviously no one knows what's going to happen with it. And we don't really know how bad it is. We have someone of an idea, but they said, you know, we'd have something, I think in mid, mid December and he'd be back maybe in January. So that's almost the first month of a season without Kemba. And I feel like Jeff T is going to slide right into that starting spot and do pretty good. And then when Kemba comes back, Kemba's going to start and then he's going to be a good six man. You
2: see, if I, if, if Jeff Teague didn't just sign like two weeks ago, maybe he still may start. But I would go into the season putting Marcus Smart at the at the point, maybe bumping Grant Williams to the starting lineup. Uh, I know the the Stevens said that he might even consider playing Daniel Tyson as of the four today, so maybe just move him up and bring Thompson into the five. But you know you don't know yet. There's no, uh, nothing's been set in stone yet. But that's all Jeff Teague. want will, will, that and then some he'll bring some reassurance back at the point guard position while Kimball Walker's off the floor. Uh, you don't have to walk in with an experienced point guard rotation of Carson Edwards, Tremont Waters, and Payne Pritchard. Um, so I do think that Brad did a good job getting some young guys like them to uh, keep up with Brown and Tatum while also bringing in veteran leadership and Jeff Teague and Tristan Thompson, who also have brings championship experience to the Celtics that we haven't talked about in uh, past episodes.
3: Yeah, I mean, Jeff Teague, I think you're right, Reed, where I'd rather see Marcus Smart there just because he's such a much better passer than Jeff Teague would be. He is a very streaky shooter, but I feel like he would fit that role better. He's got more uh, camaraderie with the guys as well. So, But it is weird, though. Like, Tristan Thompson, you know, we're getting kind of banged up, Tristan Thompson, for the start of the year. So who knows if he's even going to be there first couple weeks of the season. But, you know, it's weird with Daniel Tice. Like, he's in a position where, like, do you think Robert Williams has done enough like to take his starting spot or what do you think?
2: I like I've said several times that I'm higher on Robert Williams than most are. My goal for this season, not goal, but like what my wish for this season with him is that at some point he takes the starting five spot. I think that his potential is right, is right there with guys like Clint Capella, who I think it would be uh, fit perfect with his team, not saying Clint Capella, but a player like him uh, you saw potential with him in the bubble in the playoffs when he was on the floor. Things were just clicking. Things were humming on the defensive end. You didn't see a whole lot of that in the regular season because he had that uh, hip edema, which I'm not. I'm no doctor. I don't know what that is, uh, but kept him out for almost the whole season. Uh, I just think you need you need some time and patience with him as well. With time for time lord. Oh, the time lord,
3: Adam. Though oh. I do know. What are your thoughts on Taco Fall? Because I am a huge Taco Fall guy, and everyone else gives me shit for it. So I got to know. Taco
1: Fall's the least talented player in the NBA. <laughs> Thank all you. Right. Well, three <laughs> <out>. <laughs> he's, um, he's a victory cigar, that's all he is. I had um, a conversation with A. Sherrod about Taco a few weeks back. And um, just before A. Sherrod was uh, let go by NBC, actually, which sucks. Um, but we agreed that, you know... He needs to be on a team where he's getting between 8 and 12 minutes a night regularly and he can be allowed to make mistakes. The Pistons, with the amount of bigs that they selected him while well, they <laughs> chose to offer contracts to a free agency, why they didn't extend Tucker Will contracts is beyond me. Um, I just don't see how he can become a legitimate NBA player. He, As far as I'm concerned, he needs to be playing regularly now. Two, another two-way contracts. he's going to be at the end of the bench again for another year and if i hear any more we want taco a chance i'm going to scream <laughs> that's the
0: thing that goes back with all the rookies i've always said we need can we please stop drafting rookies and that's exactly why because our benches just gets flooded with rookies i mean i think there was an insane stat it was like 17 rookies in the last what four drafts five drafts something like that and i'm just like that's like a whole roster at that point like can we please stop drafting
1: these rookies I don't mind drafting the rookies. My biggest issue is not putting additional vets around them to help them transition. Um, I was very big on having Cara Lawson on the backroom staff. I felt that she was a really good bridge between the coaches and the players because of how successful she was in the WNBA. I also feel that when she left at the beginning of the NBA bubble, that kind of played into... The mental breakdowns that they had, the, the inability to kind of translate coaches' instructions onto on-floor production. Uh, I hope Evan Turner's going to be that guy now, and I think that um, that pickup is very underrated in terms of bringing a vet in that literally has no expectations to play.
2: Yeah, I like that a lot because uh, when Evan Turner was in Boston on the floor, like I, he wasn't wasn't really close to my favorite on the team. I felt like he tried too much. He, I kind of turned on him a little towards the end of his tenure, but He was in Brad's system, and there's a lot of these young guys in Brad's system right now who I think Turner can convince to kind of buy into what he's trying to do. Like, he had guys like Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart, who were literally his teammates while he was on Boston, and now he's in charge of player development. Like, I think Turner's going to be a huge helping hand in what Brad's trying to do with this team and these young guys.
0: My thing with Everett Turner, the way I'm going to think about him, is I'm going to think of the Celtics as that, like, varsity basketball team. And you know, like they have like the two, you know, Brown and Turner kind of like the freshman when you know when Turner was the senior. And you know, Turner left, did his own thing, and he now he's come back in coaching and he's gonna try and you know gel the team back together. I mean, I don't know. That's the way I'm thinking about. It. I hope it works out like that because uh, I, I like Turner as a player. I thought he was a good player. And when he k- said that he's gonna be an assistant coach, that shocked me because I didn't think he was anywhere near retirement. I mean, obviously he was in his 30s, but I he still had at least another five seasons left in him. The fact that he did, I think, what is he like 31, 32? I, mean, I, oh. I thought that was pretty crazy.
2: What? Kyle, what do you uh, have to say about the Evan Turner signing?
3: I mean, I think it's good. Uh, you know, obviously, I'm not going to think that. I, I'm a little bit of a green teamer, apparently, to Jake, so <laughs> I'm going to root for the Celtics for everything. Uh, I hey, think Reed's a
2: good one. their takes.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, that's the thing, though. Like, you bring up a good point, Reed, where you say he's been in the system, so, you know, he's going to know the offense and know how to, you know, interact with the players and maybe give them because i don't know if you've watched enough adam but i am not a huge uh brad stevens fan so having someone that maybe can yeah that's the
1: sacrilege offense.
3: okay so adam and i don't agree on anything but that's okay but having evan turner to kind of you know articulate what he might be saying on offense might you know make the offense have a little bit more of a boost this year because definitely i'm with- really
1: curious what puts you off on brad
3: Uh, we are too (laughs) there's a couple things like I have an ongoing bet with GRD that if Brad Stevens ever wins a title in Boston I'll get a tattoo of his face and when he doesn't win one he's going to get a tattoo of his face so
2: here's my thing about Brad is that as far as like everyone saying like oh he should be coach of the year I feel like if it were to ever happen it would have happened already like you had that year with like Isaiah and Orford when they got the two seed uh the one seed I mean sorry and the following season with the two C without Kyrie and Gordon Hayward, like he was largely responsible for like being like cornerstone and the foundation of those teams. I feel like those were two uh, strong campaigns for him. But other than that, like he's still one of the best coaches in the league. Don't get me wrong. I'm very pro Brad Stevens. Anyone saying that he needs to be fired is wrong. Like there are maybe 25 or more teams that would kill to be where the Celtics are right now, and that's largely due to Brad Stevens.
1: See, the only issue I have with him is his rotations. He's, he, right. He gives players too much rope, you know, so he'll let them build up a deficit before making a decision to pull guys. I'd rather him be more like Spolster and if somebody's not playing well, he'll just yank them and just be like, hey, sit down, figure it out. That's pretty much the only thing. I don't like the fact he's so even-keeled. I want, I want to see him chewing his own guys out a little bit more. Um, but other than that, I think he's one of the best young coaches in the league. With the rust that they've got this year, if he was this to me is one of his best opportunities to win coach of the year. But we're talking like, oh, he, he's been in the league a while now, right? But at the same time, he's still major compared to most of the other coaches. He's got time to win chips. He's got time to... And we always forget as well, This that he's very... It's only been the last two or three years that he's had actual consistency with his team. And that in itself is a, a transition from... The college game anyway where your roster continually changes so he's only just now getting guys that have been in that system for a few years that know what he's trying to ask them to do understand the concepts well enough to actually put them into into play in high high value situations high stress situations but if they keep failing late in the playoffs in the in the conference finals then eventually i'm going to start siding with kyle but not just yet. <laughs>
0: The one I thing about I'll, Stevens, and I'll say this really, like, I think that's this is why he hasn't won it is because he, he hasn't been in the league that long. I mean, I think this is only his seventh season, and I feel like Coach of the Year, you got to be in the league for at least 10, 10 seasons to be considered. I mean, I think you know, he's we, a great coach. I
2: want to interrupt you real quick. Who just won Coach of the Year this year?
0: Uh, Nick Nurse. Oh, yeah, that's true. I don't, <laughs> no, I mean, that's a good point. That, no, that's a very solid plot. But in my eyes, I like to see coaches that, you know, have been in the league for a little bit and done it. Um I don't, maybe that's why he hasn't done it. Obviously though, like those years that he did do it, wasn't that the year like the Warriors were just popping off? And Steve yeah. Kerr would yep. So I mean that that's another part too, is that you know, like, how can you give it to a guy like Brad Stevens when you have a guy like Steve Kerr coaching out this Warriors team that is just like blowing everybody out? So I don't know, Brad Stevens is a great coach. I'm not ready to side with Kyle at all. And I hope I never am. And I hope that take is completely wrong. And I hope I see Brad Stevens face tattooed somewhere in your body. But with that being said, I'm a big Brad Stevens guy. And Adam, that's a very good point you bring up with the rotations, because that's a big problem I had with him as well.
1: Um, I thought Kyle had to get GRD's face tattooed onto him. That would have been a better bet. I mean, I would have bet. <laughs> <laughs> But that.
3: Uh, what was... The, what year, wasn't he like second seed or something in the East and he didn't even get like one NBA Coach of the Year vote? Yeah. I did. I will admit, he did get snubbed pretty damn hard that year, but...
2: I believe that was the year they gave it to Dwayne Casey, who was fired from the Raptors that same offseason. Like, <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, that was the year, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To be like, employed of the month and you're fired the next month. <laughs> That's ridiculous. But moving on to the next guy, uh, the Celtics... Finally got a big man in Tristan Thompson. I was so excited to see this move, and again, I was kind of shocked by it as well because uh, I think Tristan Thompson went on like went under everyone's radar. Um, I actually like forgot he was available because I got so wrapped up in the what's going on with Hayward. You know, can we do a sign and trade here? Can we do a sign trade here? I think all week, all four of us in our group chat for we're on like different trade websites, you saying like, okay, Gordon can go here, we can get Steven Adams, or he can go here, we can get this center. Like we're doing so much of that stuff that I forgot Thompson was on uh, the books, but. I was so happy to see this because not only is he just a good big man, he knows how to win the finals. Like he did it with LeBron in two thousand sixteen, so he's been to the he's been to the finals multiple times and won at once. So I was ecstatic to see Thompson in Green.
3: I mean, yeah, that's fair. Um, he always destroys the Celtics, so it's nice having him on our team, kind of like Al Horford in the Sixers.
0: But
2: yeah, his uh his media day, we're saying all the right things. I feel like Celtics fans are already kind of fall in love with him. Uh, you know he hasn't even stepped on the floor yet. Um, I do think this was a under-right very underrated signing. We said Tomo like we were talking about getting Turner. Miles Turner, Apparently, we, we, we didn't. Uh, we got much uh, cheaper, got much cheaper player. Was a better, need than need than better, than better than Turner. Turner. Uh, uh, Tristan Thompson, a rebounder, coming, coming off ahead, I think the most had rebounds, had rebounds had of his career. Ahead. I think last year uh, he was in a bogged down front court in Cleveland with Drummond and Kevin Love. Uh, now he's kind of got more room to operate in a setting like Boston, where there's not a whole lot of rebounds. Uh, that are gotten from their big guys. So we can step right in, I think. Uh, And we said the championship experience, uh, that's going to be huge for this team, especially with guys like Tatum and Brown ready to hit their stride.
1: Yeah, I was was kind of a little bit sad when they picked up Thompson, not going to (laughs) lie. I've kind of come around. So I spent last week... I'm quite fortunate to have access to some scouting software so I can just like plug in whatever I want to see and get every possession for that, for whatever I'm trying to look for. Um, so I went through all of his putbacks, all of his um, pick and rolls as a roll man, as a trail man. And then I went and looked at his defense and uh, I'm I'm a convert, man. He's going to be phenomenal. He, his putback percentage rank was his number one offensive output for the whole of last year. of his offense came through putbacks, through tips and um, secondary dunks. He's when Kemba decides that he forgets how to shoot for a little while or Jeff Teague likes to go Superman after pick-and-roll, which he will do considerably. Do you know what? No, he will do it every time he comes in to pick-and-roll. Jeff Teague is a a worry for me. But when you guys have someone like Thompson that just literally feasts on the offensive glass, similar to what Kanter did, except when Kanter went down the other end, he was shit. And when Thompson goes down the other end, he's going to be elite on defense too. Uh, I'm looking forward to him. And did you know he was a Celtics fan originally? There was a tweet that got pulled up from 2010 yeah. the other day saying, um, can't watch to sit down and watch my Celtics. Uh, I'm excited, dude. And I like the way that he speaks straight to the media. There's no cliches. He tells you exactly what's on his mind. Uh, whether or just, not that means he's going to chew me out at some point this year. Yeah.
2: He's just that instant energy guy, whether it's on the bench or in the starting lineup. I think he's going kind to of- – I'm excited to see what him and guys like Marcus
0: Smart, who have great court vision, are gonna be able to pull this out uh, this this year. But one concern I have about Tristan Thompson, and maybe it's not a concern I should have, and maybe I'm just, I don't know, just reading into it too much. But the Kardashian curse, which I fully believe in, and I'm not, like, I'm not gonna lie, like I fully believe in the Kardashian curse, and him bringing the Kardashians to the Celtics is something I don't want at all. Like we were very spread out from that. Like the Kardashians were over in like L.A. and we were over in Boston. And now, like, you know, they're kind of mixing together, and then their shows can't, like, I don't want that to happen at all. And, like I said, maybe that's, maybe that's just me reading too into it, but I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's definitely real, though. I mean, I mean how it? many players How many players have been, you know, struck with the Kardashian curse? I mean, Chris Humphreys, you remember that guy? He was a Celtic. He was supposed to be pretty good, and he got out of the league the following year. And he was dating, who was he dating? I don't know, one of the Kardashians.
3: Didn't Ben Simmons date, like, who was it, like, Kendall Jenner or something? I know he dated one
0: of them. Yeah, he did. My man Booker is hanging out with him, too. I don't like that, either. Yeah. Well, again, this is not a son fight. <laughs> Get out of here. Chris,
2: you're
1: speaking of- Chris Humphries was with um the one who's with Kanye now, whichever one that is.
0: I don't I don't follow the Kardashians like that. I'll be straight up.
1: <laughs> and Kim, that's it, the main one. Yeah,
0: it's Kanye. Oh, yeah, she's with Kanye, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Chris Humphries was with her before Kanye got with her. Uh, Chris Humphreys, no lie, was the guy I hated the most out of any NBA player ever. And there was no reason why. I just hated to do uh,
0: I didn't like to be.
2: I was at the um I don't know if you guys remember this game against the Nets, but uh, that uh, the Rondo Chris Humphreys probably the pour into the stands. I was at that game. Uh, it was a crazy environment. And it was the same game that Joe Johnson had that uh that crossover on Paul Pierce when he fell on his face. Uh, that was one of the like, more crazier games I've ever been to. But then the following season we get Chris Humphreys on the team and that was my first introduction to him. And it wasn't my favorite acquisition.
0: I remember that season. I think that was the 2013 season. I think it was was it? I'm pretty sure it was Brad's first season in Boston, and that was a horrific year. Probably the worst in recent memory of you know that I've witnessed from the Celtics. Um, nah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. We were supposed season. to get like 10 wins, but ended up with like 25 or something.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, we were bit, we were bad. No, no, we were bad. I'm not gonna say we weren't <laughs> bad. We were bad. <laughs> but moving on to our next topic, uh, Kemba Walker obviously this guy has been through a lot with his knee recently. And uh, I said last episode that he got stem cells injection, which is like a last resort. And I'm very, very concerned about the injury more so than any, you know, I joked about the Kardashian thing, but, um, that's, like, one of my, my legit concerns with Kem- with this uh, Celtics team is Kemba Walker's injury because the knee is, like, something that can literally make or break Kemba Walker because he's an explosive, small guy. And this is kind of the same reason why I wasn't a big fan of bringing back IT, a small point guard, some guy that, you know, you, you look at him, like, yeah, he's small, he's getting older, like, he's going to start breaking down. And I fear for life that we avoided the bolt with Isaiah Thomas and we're getting it right now with Kemba Walker.
3: Yeah, I mean, I respect Danny for being. I think he was the first guy ever to like trade a 25 point per game score for another 25 point per game score when he traded IT for uh, Kyrie. So, as much as I love Kemba and love what he brings to the team, I really wouldn't be too, too upset if he traded him for another all star level starting point guard. It would be tough because obviously the concerns with the knee, but you know, if he did it, I wouldn't hate him too much for it.
2: I. I'm willing to be patient with a guy like Kemba. I do think we rushed him back. Um, it wasn't like I've made I've said this on each show since we started talking about that during the original quarantine period back in like spring and summer where the facility wasn't open. Like Kemba had to corn quarant- had to rehab on his own without the facility and the trainers. Uh, this offseason, he has had that, and he's obviously had the stem cell injection. Like uh, I've read a little bit up on that. It's, uh, it's there, there's been some good uh feedback from those as far as like recovery and performance afterwards. Um you just gotta hope for a guy like that who just turned thirty. He's gonna be thirty one. Um, I think he just turned thirty. Um and his most of his game is running right at the basket and avoiding contact but sometimes absorbing some heavy contact from the big guys down low. Um you just don't know how much how many years he's got left on a timeline, especially with a knee injury like that. And what we should just start be thinking about
1: yeah i mean my biggest thing and i've kind of hearted on about this across social media um if anybody hears the ig guys then you understand me harp on about this um if it was sh- structural issues in the knee it would have been surgery it would have been anything structural can be repaired you can strengthen it through surgery um, because it was stem cells that points to a deg- degenerative problem which means you know you're looking at more of an arthritic condition Which the best you can do is manage it and arthritis only gets worse, it never gets better. It might have, you know, it might have a lull and feel good for a while, but then it's going to come back and bite you in the ass. So that's my biggest concern is once that arthritis sets in, you start to lose that little bit of pace. You start to kind of stiffen up so your ability to change directions at speed is going to be hindered. Your ability to peel off screens the way Kemba likes to and kind of draw that contact off the hip to get that shut off. All of these things for me are massive red flags. So personally, if they can find a team that wants him, you know, maybe New York, he's, in, he's from New York, New York have the cap space, they need a guard. Um, if you can sell them on that, and maybe even if you have to send a pick along the way, uh, moving up from Kemba is going to be high on my my personal agenda over the next 18 months.
0: I would definitely agree with that, and that's something that I would, you know, really want to do with move from Kemba. But I'm curious the way, like you think about this, Adam. Is that a bad PR stunt? For the Celtics, because obviously, you know, I've, you know, we've lost a ton, a, bu- a bunch of our big free agents in previous seasons. We had Isaiah Thomas, who gave his heart and soul to the organization, and boom, shipped him off. You know, for Kyrie, he leaves. We bring in Al Horford, who lived and breathed Celtics basketball. He leaves, and then Gordon Hayward also leaves. So, if we get the other guy, and we just ship him off. Is that? Do you think that's like a bad PR sign for the Celtics?
1: I, I honestly depend. It's where you send him. If you send him to New York, you can play it up as. We sent him home, we gave him three years guaranteed in his hometown to play in front of his home community. You can kind of get away from that then a little bit by saying by playing it off as, yeah, we moved on from him, but we did so by sending him to New York where we knew he wanted to play, where we knew he'd want to end his career. You ship him off to somebody somewhere like Sacramento, then yeah, you're gonna catch some heat and it's really gonna hit you in free agencies in the coming weeks, sorry, coming years. So it all depends to me where you send him and how you spin that media kind of circus that will follow.
0: Because that was my biggest thing with Gordon Hayward is that because when you know with the whole Indiana thing, people were saying, "Well, I don't know if I want Miles Turner," and I was saying to myself, it doesn't matter if we want him or not. Get Gordon Hayward out of there so it look it looks at least decent for the Celtics because you've lost so many guys do what he wants. Cause I mean, from what I've heard about reports and I don't, I mean, I'm sure you're, I know for a fact you're well more connected than I am, but everything I heard from people was saying that Gordon Hayward and Gordon Hayward's camp to go to Indiana and so much so that they almost thought it was expected that he would be going to Indiana at some point. And it was, and it was only through Boston.
1: Well, he bought a house there, right? A few months back, he sold his LA mansion and bought like a lot of his kids are in school there. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's um Robin went there. I've spoken to Robin a couple of times. Um, She's really friendly. I've got nothing bad to say about any of these people. But um, for me, in terms of what you got back as an asset, that TPE is far more valuable than what Miles Turner is. Uh, Danny Ainge alluded to as much like, you know, when they thought Miles Turner was coming in, he got on the phone to other GMs. And it turns out that nobody's high on Turner. So you're getting a negative asset back anyway. At least with that TPE, you can facilitate trades and maybe stockpile some future picks or if James Harden decides that he's really done and just wants to get the hell out of there you make a run at Harden which I'm completely against by the way but um, you know it's an, it's it's an avenue that they have that they wouldn't have if they'd gone and got Miles Turner and whoever else was filler yeah um so I was going to actually ask you about that what do you what what do you
2: think about this te- the the exception like what do you think it's going to be utilized sooner than later or is it going to be down the road the deadline or the offseason? What's your, what's your idea about it? I know it's a complex...
1: Uh, yeah, so for me, the TPE's best option is the free agency next year. There's a lot of big fish, and it's going to be a very similar aspect to the way the Celtics were this year. Teams don't want guys to walk for nothing in free agency. So you can, you can acquire a guy into a TPE via a sign and trade because it's a trade exception. So if there's a guy that you really like in free agency that wants to come in and feels like he's that final piece then you organize a sign-and-trade with their team. You get the guy and absorb him into your exception. And now that team has a TP going into whenever they want to use it so everybody wins. I don't see it happening any earlier unless Boston facilitate a big a big trade for another team in, in a move to kind of acquire future assets down the line. But for me, the time for acquiring more draft picks is done.
0: That's my big thing as well is that I want the vet guy, whether – I mean, preferably I want a third guy, like a, the dominant third guy um, with the TPE. But, I mean, I'll even take some bench guys that are good bet guys. I don't want – but I'll tell you one thing. I don't want any more prospects, any more picks. Don't want any of that. But um, my thing with the TPE, though, is that – I mean, obviously this is the biggest trade exception that has been in the history of the NBA. Biggest one in the history. And my – you know, in the back of my head, I'm thinking to myself, recently a lot of these guys are leaving and just leaving all these teams and – you know they're not getting it. The teams are getting it get back, and they're back to the lottery, trying to you know get the ping pong balls to bounce in the right way, right? And my I you know my thought process behind this is that well maybe the Celtics did this with Hayward. What's to say that let's say I don't know you know when Giannis leaves, let's say next year, if Milwaukee says hey why don't you sign with us? We'll get you your big bonus, and then we get a trade exception back. Do you, Adam, do you think that's something that could you know be transcendent in the NBA
1: for future years? Yeah, because nobody it's an it's one of the most valuable assets you can have that isn't actually tangible. Um, you know, 70% of TPEs go and use, they expire. But when you can facilitate something to make that much of an exception, like, you know, a $35 million TPE is ridiculous. That's an all-star level trade exception. So when a team like Houston are screwed and you've got a guy like James Harden, who's the perfect example right now, if your TPE is big enough, you can go and acquire that guy and just ship out loads of picks and not have to worry about salary matching and to me, that's very valuable. Or again, facilitating and receiving picks for taking on a crappy contract for a year or two. If you're a rebuilding team, which of you lose Giannis or lose Harden, you are at that point, you have to accept that. It gives you lots of different avenues to acquire assets quite easily. And it means that you didn't lose your superstar for nothing in free agency, which obviously everybody kind of wants to say face there.
2: Yeah. Um. <sighs> I want to keep talking. To- like I want to make all these like guesses and predictions, but a part of me just feels like Danny's just gonna sit on his hands. But you can't do that when you have the biggest trade exception in history. Uh, I'm not really quite sure what the move would be. Like if we said to patching that exception, there's a lot of um, complicated um, issues that come with it. Uh, nothing's really clear. I don't know. I know Danny's not in no rush right now to use it. He came out and said it himself. Um, I expect someone at the deadline, maybe. After we see what this team is made of.
1: The one caveat I want to throw, throw out there as well, just because I've been speaking about sign and trades with the tpu is um the Celtics are roughly, I think it's 24, sitting around 24 mil underneath the cap. Um, if you acquire anyone on the sign and trade, you're going to get hard capped at the tax apron, which means the Celtics would also have to shed some salary, but you can't. Um, Aggregate salary to your TPE to take a bigger contract. So it get it gets real messy real quick, um, which means then if you are at the trade deadline and somebody is going for 22, 23 mil, you can you can pick them go straight up. But again, you're gonna the other team's gonna have to be willing to take back picks and real like projects. You know, Carson Edwards is probably going to be one of the fillers. Um, you can't you can't move Trey because he's a two way. You can't move Tucker. Yeah, so it's going to be Edwards, maybe Langford, which I'd be against personally. So it's definitely going to be harder at the trade deadline than it will be at the um, free agency next summer. Well,
0: My big thing with the exception as well is that usually, like, if this was a normal season, let's say, right, which I know is crazy for twenty twenty, but assuming this was a normal season, right, Hayward would have walked in like late June, early July, right, right around that time frame, right. So the trade exception would have expired July of next of next year, but the fact that you did it in November, I feel like that gives you even more options because now you have this deadline, and then you're going to have next offseason to deal with it too. And then if you really don't use it and you really need to move it quick, you're going to have right, you know, right around the start of the season to move it. So I think the fact that we did it in November versus July is also a very big thing that, you know, people aren't really talking about.
1: There's been rumors that it's going to expire once the season starts, that they're not going to let it run the full 12 months, but it's much easier to extend something than it is to reduce it, especially when you start looking at like the CBA and all the agreements and contracts that are signed. So I, I'd hope that, yeah, it runs into next November. But again, then the, the talent pool dries up. All the good go- all the good names that you're going to want to bring in are going to have just signed long-term deals in free agency moves. It's uh, it's tricky, but I do know one thing. If Angels, lets this expire, people are going to write. <laughs>
0: His job's going to be called for. Like, honestly, like... Danny H has done a great job for his organization, but if, you, if he lets this go, you literally let Gordon Hayward walk for nothing. And it, oh, I'm sorry, you got a second-round pick for him, so you don't lose him for anything. But, I mean, people are going to be calling for his job.
2: I think that, uh, that second-round pick's a top 55 protected, so it, it could literally be nothing.
0: That's even worse. I didn't even know that. That's ridiculous.
1: Being the optimistic could be another Isaiah Thomas. If we want to be optimistic, he was the 60th pick.
0: There's a small chance, yeah. We get another Isaiah (laughs) Thomas. (laughs) It's a
1: very small chance, but uh, you've always got to be the optimist, man.
0: I got a better chance of probably the dartboard sitting across my room, spinning around in my rolly chair, and throwing the dart while I'm spinning to get a bullseye. Do any another Isaiah Thomas. But no, I'll give you that. We could get another Isaiah Thomas. Get another four-year guy. I like that. Uh, But moving on. Speaking of expectations for the season, not so much some hypothetical player, Danny H could drown in the second round. Um, but what about some expectations for this season? Adam, what do you think the Celtics are going to finish and then their postseason as well?
1: So I've got them finishing fifth or fourth in the East. I feel like they're going to have some real rough patches where um, it's just going to look terrible. And then I feel like they're going to have some great patches and, you know, secure home court advantage, but not be high up in that Eastern Conference. Again, they might slip a little bit more and have to have to play their opening few games in the postseason away from home. In the playoffs, it's I can see them going as far as the finals and falling out as early as the semis. Again, it's a young it's a young team, and it all depends how quickly they adapt to the NBA and how quickly they can translate coaches' instructions to to performing that on the floor.
0: So my question to you is: if they don't go far enough in the playoffs, and you know, like let's say you get knocked off in the semis or somehow in the first round, like if it's really that bad, do you do you look at the offseason? Okay, like we gotta make a like a dramatic like dramatic change right here.
1: I look at the offseason and think, oh shit, I've got a thirty million dollar TPE and there's a bucket load of guys available. Where did we suck, and right. how can we get one of these guys in? I don't feel like it's going to be much of a changing what you've already got, rather than bringing somebody in that can not demand the ball as much as what Haywood did and that's one of the reasons Hayward I mean Hayward didn't physically demand it he was quite um, self selfless but he still needed touches to be a viable option so you want to try and find like a third or fourth option like Aaron Gordon to me screams like he'd he'd excel in a fourth option because he sucks as a first option um it's true right but <laughs> You wanna bring in somebody like that, somebody that's had trouble leading a team and understands now, hey, maybe I do need to be that fourth guy fourth guy on a team that can go off for twenty but also be happy to average eight. And I feel like that's what they're gonna be missing throughout this season.
0: Right. Personally, I would like the the levels of each player to be established this season. So I feel like a lot and I've said this on the podcast a lot, I feel like Marcus Smart doesn't see himself as a role player and he sees himself as more as like the third guy like next to brown and Tatum and I mean I don't know how you feel about this I know I kind of hate for a little bit but that's just how I feel because I see him taking like all these shots and I'm like dude you can't do that like that's not your job like your job is to go out play defense and you know if you want to get 20 and you can do that on a couple nights sure go do it but right now like we need you to play defense and that's your role right now and I feel like, like he doesn't it doesn't click yet that he's a role player and he's not on brown and Tatum's level
1: so I don't know what Instagram's like, but because um, everybody has that one social media they navigate to, right? For me, it's Twitter. For you guys, it's IG. Yeah. Um, but Twitter can become a very toxic place very fucking quick. And um, I put a tweet out probably just after the um, the finals. Sorry, the conference finals. Basically saying Marcus Smart should always be the sixth man off the bench. He should be the guy that... I don't want to see him taking more than eight shots a night. I don't want to see him jacking up freeze. I get it, he kept him in games for some games when he went off. But then he shut them out from others. Uh, for me, Smart needs to learn that he's a six-man. He's a fucking damn good six-man, but he's a six-man. Or the Celtics need to look at ways to move him now while his value's high before he go hits free agency in another two years and requests the Brink truck, at which point you're going to lose him anyway so uh, yeah Marcus Smart I definitely agree there needs to be a hierarchy and Marcus Smart needs to know that you can come off the bench and take a, a couple of shots but you don't belong in the starting lineup
2: yeah I'm on Twitter for hours out of my day and weird Celtics Twitter is very real <laughs> it's a real thing it's it's an odd world in itself
0: yeah I don't know that's my thing with Smart and that's why I like the Jeff T signing as well I mean we can wrap it up with this but the best thing about the like, Jeff T signing is that he can come in and start and you know keep Marcus Mark on the bench and keep him rolling with the bench guys
1: jeff Jeff teague's um gonna piss off a lot of people with the the way he plays off the pick and roll i can tell you that straight now
2: yeah i um
1: he had 250 or just over 250 pick and roll possessions i watched every single one um he very rarely dumps the ball off to the big he doesn't reward the big man for rolling at all to be quite honest um, he likes to kind of turn the jets on, and then he likes this like scoop layup to get it high off the glass, so we can avoid um, rotation from the weak side. And he gets blocked a bunch. He um, he tries to he tries to put guys in jail so we can draw contact with a floater. Um, ends up just missing and not getting contact. I saw one play where he put his own big man in jail so he couldn't roll to the rim for a lob. Um, it's just it can be really good or it can be really fucking bad. There's
0: no (laughs) in-between.
1: Yeah, there's no in-between. But again, he was on two really bad teams, so maybe with better talent around him, hopefully we see a little bit more facilitation.
0: Yeah, Anything's possible for the Celtics team. I mean, semi-finals or finals. I think that's a very accurate description, although very broad with the Celtics team. Uh, but guys that's been it for the god podcast episode 16 thank you guys for checking out this week's episode and make sure you guys check out adam on celtics blog and sp nation adam thank you so much for coming on this week's episode of the god podcast
1: of course guys thanks for having me